If you will, open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 18. That will be our text for our lesson this morning. Ezekiel chapter 18 there. Hold that position and we'll come to that here in just a little bit. We've had a very good morning. We've had an opportunity to come together with Christians of like precious faith, to study from His Word, and to offer our praise to God, and to remember the great sacrifice of His Son. What a great morning we've had. And now as we continue on spiritual matters, we want to open God's Word and we want to pull a lesson from God's Word that can help us to be better servants of His in the future than we have in the past. And we want to start this morning and tell a little story. It's a story about a brother and a sister. Uh, this story probably, it, it comes from the mid, middle 60s, I would say. The little boy was maybe seven or eight years old and his little sister was uh, about three years younger. And they were out playing one day, out playing in the carport. And... I don't remember for sure, but uh, at least the little boy was decided he would play on the hood of Dad's car. Now, cars back then could take the weight of kids. Today it might create some problems. But as they were playing on the car, the little boy reached up and grabbed the antenna. Now, the antenna in those days came up out of the fender, encased in the windshield like today. The little boy grabbed the antenna. As he did, it snapped off into his hand. And if he didn't realize at that point, before that point, that he was doing something he shouldn't be doing, he certainly did at that point. So he slid off the hood of the car and headed to the front door of the house. And just as he got to the steps leading up to the porch, Dad stepped out. That little boy didn't hesitate one second. He raised his hand with that antenna and he said, look what Terry did. Now, as you might expect, the scene shifted into the house, into the parents' bedroom, where Dad was about to uh, use a little parental correction for the situation. And the little boy, right before Dad was about to punish his sister, owned up to his wife. He said, wait, I did that. And so the parental fury at this time shifted a little bit from the daughter to, to the son, and corrective uh, steps were taken. Well, we think about a story like this, and we think of the, the humor in it looking back. I can tell you, without that, you hadn't figured it out yet, I'm that little boy. And on the day that it happened, it was not something that I saw any humor, of, humor in at all, and I think my dad made certain of that. Uh, but it's something that we think about uh, somewhat comical, if you will. But it does illustrate for us a problem that each of us have, that each of us have to deal with. In fact, if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, in verses 12 and 13, we see where Adam and Eve had that same problem. When they had done, what, done the one thing that God had told them not to do while they were in the garden, God came to talk to them about that. And when he approached Adam, Adam said, well, the woman you gave me. He tried to deflect it to her. And then when God said to Eve, what have you done? She says, well, the serpent deceived me. And the point that we can see from this is that we all like to blame others 
for our problems, for our mistakes. We like to blame our circumstances. We like to do anything other than take personal responsibility for the things that we've done. Oh, when things are going good, when we accomplish something that, that is noteworthy, we want to stand up and puff our chests out and say, look, see what I've done, see what I've accomplished. But when things are bad, it's just not our fault. And so today what I want us to look at is I want us to look in Ezekiel chapter 18 at God's message there to the children of Israel and consider God's view on our personal responsibility. Now, let's look at the verses that we just had read to us just a moment ago. In those first four verses, particularly verses 1 and 2 now, it says, Then when the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. So the prophet asked them, What do you mean by saying this? Why are you saying this thing? Now, do we under, make sure we understand what the, what the, what the proverb says. The proverb is, is saying what we just talked about. The proverb is saying, well, our fathers have sinned, and yet we're being punished for it. Our fathers ate the sour grapes, and it sets our teeth on edge. So, when, these, when the children of Israel were saying these things, it's as if they were asking the father... Why, why are we being punished for the sins of our father? Well, let's think about that for a minute. Let's look at a little bit of the setting and the history of what we find here. We find as the book of, of, of as the prophet starts in Ezekiel chapter 1, we find that Israel is in captivity. They're in Babylonian captivity. They're situated near the Kibar River. And we find them whining. Uh, that's no surprise. We can look almost anywhere in the Old Testament and find the children of God complaining about something. But let's look at some examples uh, from the Scripture. Let's look, first of all, in Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 3. See what it says about the people of God. Ezekiel chapter 2, this is when God has called Ezekiel to, uh, to go to them. He says, And he said to me, Son of man, verse 3, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Now let's remember that last phrase. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Now look at, in chapter 3, look at verses 6 through 9. In, in, in verse 6 it says, about midway through the verses, but I have sent to you to, sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they, have not, they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their forehead. Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are, rebellion, though they are a rebellious house. So we can see from those, those chapters there, those verses in, in, in Ezekiel, the attitude of God's people here. Now, 
Look back in Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah also warned Israel that they needed to repent or that something was going to happen to them. He prophesied that they were going to go into captivity for 70 years. Look in verse 3. Now these 23 years, about midway through the verse, the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. Look in verse 5 through 7. Turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and, and dwell on the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. And I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord. And then down in verses 8 and 9, he tells them that they don't do this since they have not done this, that, they are, that he is going to send, what does it say, the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send the Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, my servant, and he will take them into captivity. And then down, at the, down in verse 11, it says, And this whole land shall be a desolation and a horror, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. So we can see that Jeremiah prophesied for some twenty-three years of the same thing, and yet they didn't pay any attention to him. And if the, prophet, if the work of the prophets was not enough, then we also have the example of King Josiah. And you may remember in Second Kings chapter 22 and chapter 23 when they, were, when they were trying to rebuild the temple that they found the law. And the king himself took that law and read it to the people. And it also, in chapter 23, it, re, it reveals to us that for the first time and for a long time that they actually observe the feast of the Passover, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Passover feast. So we can see that time and time again, God has warned his people about not obeying him. Now, let's go back to our text. Now look at verses 3 and 4. As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father, as well as, as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. And what God is saying through the prophet here in these first four verses, he asks, why do you say this proverb? That you're in the condition you're in now because your fathers have sinned. Because we just read in Ezekiel chapter 2 that they're there because of their fathers, but they're also there because they have sinned as well. And he tells them, you're not going to use that proverb anymore. We're going to replace that proverb. And the reason we're going to replace that proverb is because all souls belong to God. And that proverb, at the end of verse 4, the new proverb is, the soul who sins will die. Now, before we go further in the text, we need to take just a minute to talk about something to make sure we, we recognize the difference in this. There is a difference between consequences of sin and a decision to do right or wrong. Right? And maybe the, 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 the easiest way to, to illustrate this is to think about a family where the father is an alcoholic. 
He is he has given himself. He's sinning. He's, 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 he spends his afternoons at the local bar. He spends the money that he what money he does earn instead of taking care of his family. He spends it at the bar, following after his own lust. And as a result of his actions, there's no question that that family's going to suffer. That they may not have enough money for food and clothing for uh, things that they need, the things that he should be using it for in support of his family. But their suffering, his, the consequences of his action, does not relieve them from their responsibility to obey God. And so that's the point, one of the points that we need to bring home. We need to understand that there's a difference between working through the suffering that's associated with the consequences of somebody else's sin and being punished for somebody else's sin. Because we're going to see that the Scriptures teach us teaches us that that's not the case. We won't be punished for someone else's sin. <clears throat> we have to remember to not allow the consequences or the circumstances around us to be justification for us failing to obey God's Word. Okay, let's move on and look in verses 5 through 9. Now, the prophet now is going to talk to them about a man, a righteous man. And he gives for us <clears throat> maybe the simplest definition there is for what, a, what is a righteous man. And that's contained in verse 5. A righteous man practices justice and righteousness. And maybe that should be how our, our exhortation to each other ought to be. That simple at times. When we're struggling through things, we ought to be able to just stand up and say, look to God's Word, Whatever it says, that's what we ought to do. That's the right thing to do. We ought to do justice, practice justice and righteousness. Now, in verses 6 through 8 uh, and on into verse 9, God describes what a righteous man does not do. We have these things listed on the board. He does not lift his eyes up to idols. You know that the children of Israel turned to idols time and again. That's not what a righteous man should do. He does not defile his neighbor's wife, nor does he approach his wife while she's unclean. He does not eat at the mountain shrines. Now, that's another thing that was associated with idol worship, but that had to do with the pagans that, that worshipped idols. And it, if you went into the mountains to participate in that, there were, there were feasts that went along with that. Well, a righteous man will not do that. He will not oppress. He will, just, he will restore the debtor's pledge. There were times where the Jews would loan money to those that were more needy or loan materials and things to help them in their time of need. Now, the borrower had to produce a pledge. They had to give something to the lender to show they were going to pay back. It would be like today a collateral, if you will. Well, the lender returned that pledge, and a righteous man would not keep that. He would, he would, he would restore it. He would not be a robber. He would feed the hungry. He would clothe the needy. He would avoid iniquity. He would be just with his fellow man. And then the last point seems to sum it up. He would walk in God's statues and his ordinances. That's what a righteous man would do. And then verse 9 tells us that because of him doing these things, it says that he will surely live. Now, that's the righteous man. We just talked about this righteous man who follows God's word. And as a result of him following God's word, He's going to live. Now he's going to talk about the next generation, the son, the son of this righteous man. 
And we're told that he did not do as his father did. And as a result of that, verse 13 says that he will not live. That he will surely be put to death. And he drives the point home by saying that his blood will be on his own head. We had this righteous man over here. He's judged based on his righteousness. We had this unrighteous man here, and he is judged based on his deeds. It says his blood will be on his own head. Now, we go to another generation. We've gone from the father to the son, and now we're going to go to the son of the unrighteous son, the third generation. The son of the unrighteous son does not act as his father. Verse 17 tells us that he executes my ordinances and walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquities. He will live. And verse 18 reminds us of the fact that his father, the unrighteous son, shall die because of his deeds. He will die for his iniquities. Now look at verses 19 and 20. The text says, Yet you say, Why should the Son not bear the punishment of the Father's iniquity, when the Son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. The person who sins will die. The Son will not bear the punishment for the Father's iniquity, nor will the Father bear the punishment for the Son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Verse 19 starts with this phrase, yet you say. And it's as if God anticipates man questioning his authority. And that's not any surprise. We, we began our lesson looking at passage after passage that talked about the attitude of God's people uh, and how they... they they and we all have the tendency to want to substitute our thoughts for God's direction. And we have to be careful with that. In verse 20, he drives this point home that the Son will not, nor the Father will not, bear each other's punishment. And, you know, this is an important lesson not for us, only for us as adults, but our children. And the children that are here today need to pay attention to this. In that what God is saying through his prophet is that you're not going to be judged by him based on what your parents have done or what your grandparents have done. You're going to be judged by God based on what you do. And he's driving that point here. In verse 20, each will face the reward based on their deeds. Now look at verses 21 through 24. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions which he has committed will not be remembered against him because of his righteousness which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? 
But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits his iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that a, a wicked man does, will he live? All his righteous deeds which he has done will not be remembered for his treachery which he has committed and his sins which he has committed, for them he will die. God takes the principle forward a little bit. And now he's talking about the individual who has lived unrighteously and turns from his sin. And he starts to do God's will. It tells us that God will forget his past sin. And the result is he will live. If the wicked man turns from all my sins and starts to do and practice and observe the statutes of statutes of God, then his transgressions which he has committed will be remembered no more, and he will live. Now that's a comforting thing. It's, a, it's something that we all need to know that if we do stumble, that if we are sinning, that all we have to do is stop that, turn from that, and do what God expects of us. And we will not die. But there's a there's another side to that coin, a coin that we also need to, to to remember and hold fast to, because it tells us also that if 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 the other should happen, if we stop doing God's righteousness, if we stop following His His ways, if the righteous man and the righteous grandson that we talked about a minute ago stopped doing what they were doing and started doing like the the, the the son and the father did, then what does it say is going to happen? It says if he turns away, he asks the question. If he starts doing these, if he starts to live in iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, God asks the question, will he live? Well, the answer is no. He won't live. And in fact, all the righteous deeds that he has done, God will remember them no more. And then he will die for his treachery, for the, for the bad things that he has done. If we turn from sin, God will forget those things that we've done. If we turn from righteousness, God will forget the righteousness that we've done and will judge us accordingly. Now look at verses 25 through 29. We have this phrase again, yet you say. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not right. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies because of it, for his iniquity which he has committed, he will die. Again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness which he has committed and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life because he considered and turned away from all his transgressions which he has committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. But the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not right. Are my ways not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? God is repeating his warning. He's repeating his principle. And he's pointing out that it is indeed his way that is right and not man's. So when the children of Israel, in their captive state, were saying, our fathers ate the sour grapes 
yet our teeth are, are put on edge. They were wrong. They weren't being punished because of the actions of their fathers. They were being punished because they had failed to do what God had expected of them. Now look at verse 30 as he brings this to his final conclusion, concluding point. 30 through 32. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions, so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. Look at the components in this, in this section of verses. It says, therefore I, this is God talking, I will judge you. Remember at the beginning, the verse that we read, it said, the soul of the Son and the soul of the Father belong to me. God will be the one judging us. And it says, each according to his conduct. He's going to judge the Father. He's going to judge the unrighteous Son. And he's going to judge the righteous Son. He's going to judge the people in the back section of this pew, uh, of the back pews of this section, or the front pews over in this section. He's going to judge the guy standing up here. He's going to judge us all according to how we have obeyed his will, according to our conduct. And he charges them there to repent and turn away from your transgressions so that your iniquity will not be a stumbling block for you. Repent of all your transgressions. Not only repent, he says in verse 31, he says to cast them away. Cast away from you all your transgressions. And the charge, therefore, repent and live. Now, as we bring our lesson to a close, let's look at some passages from the New Testament and draw the lessons that we've seen from Ezekiel home. The warning that we've seen from the prophets and from the example of the way that, that Israel followed God, those warnings are followed into the New Testament. We see them continued there. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writing to the church at Rome, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Paul is talking to the church there at Rome about God's grace. And, and it's an important subject. For without the gift that God has given us through His Son, we don't have access to it. And it's very important. But look at man's idea of this grace. Man's idea of this grace is to say, well, since there's grace, well, let's let grace abound even more if we sin more. But do you remember what Ezekiel 18 and verse 30 said? It said, repent from our transgressions and cast them away. Paul says here, 
How shall we who have died to sins still live in it? It doesn't make any sense for us to take the conclusion that we can sin more so grace can abound more. Because God is going to judge us based on our deeds. And we have to be willing to cast aside our transgressions so that we can live. If we had not cast them aside, then we're still doing it. Look in Hebrews chapter 2, in verses 1 through, we're looking at really verses 1 through 3. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For the word spoken through, the, through angels provided unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The writer in Hebrews is warning us, just as the children of Israel were warned, we need to pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away from it. Because verse 2 reminds us that every transgression receives a just recompense. And what did the prophets say in Ezekiel that we've been reading about? In every example that we looked at, that the prophet discussed, you are going to be judged based on your deeds. If you follow God's statutes and do what His will is, and you will live. If you don't, you're going to die. Hebrews chapter 4, in verses 1 through 3. Therefore let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. We need to be afraid. We need to be sober in our thinking. So that we will not fall short of God's rest. We need to put our faith in God. And let our faith, united with His Word, lead us to works that will result in life. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 24 said, Remember what it said about the righteous man that turns to sin? God will forget his deeds of righteousness. So we need to be careful. We need to remember we should be afraid so that we don't fall short of grabbing hold to God's promise. 